Uh, one of the joys of being a pastor is I get to share your lives and I get to share your stories. And um, this is a beautiful day because today you're going to get to, sh- to hear three of the type of stories that I get to hear of your lives because we're having testimonies uh, about fathers, about all kinds of fathers, our earthly fathers, our spiritual church fathers, um, the way that God intervenes to help us and what we learn from our, from our dads, both earthly and spiritual. And so I'm excited. And these are the scriptures. These are a couple of scriptures. God compares himself to a father throughout scripture. It's one of the favorite ways that God uses to describe himself. And so these are from the psalm. Father to the fatherless, defender of widows, this is God whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. And then this. The Lord is like a father to his children tender and compassionate to those who fear him. So I'm going to invite, we have three testimonies today. Jay is going first, and then you're going to hear from Laura Truitt, and then you're going to hear from Bobby Epstein. So Jay, would you come on up? I would bound up here, but I'm kind of old for that. Uh, If you didn't catch my name earlier, I'm Jay Spencer. I'm one of the laity here, and today I want to talk about my father. That's him, J.W. Spencer, Jr. I'm J.W. Spencer, the third. Um, he was the most powerful influence in my life, without a doubt. I'd like to, to tell you a little bit about him so that it puts some kind of some meat on the, on the puzzle here. He was, he was born in, in August of 1925. And uh, it tells you two things. He's in that, that greatest generation that's ever been in America. He grew up in the worst of times, the Great Depression. And he served in World War II in the Navy. He, in fact, got a, a release from his father uh, to go to the Navy when he was 17 years old. He was in the Pacific Theater, and he served there until the war was over and he had ran out his term. He returned to Canyon, Texas. That's where he grew up. He returned back to his family in Canyon, Texas. And, and with the GI Bill, with the help of that, he was able to attend West Texas State University. He uh, met and wed my mother while he was there, obtained his bachelor's degree, uh, and in 1955, he moved all of us. By then, there was two more in the family, myself and my sister, moved us all to Odessa, Texas, or as I came to know it growing up with Slowdessa, Texas, Uh, moved us all there and became a school teacher. Taught school for about five years, and then went back to Sol Ross State University and obtained his, his master's degree so that he could become a, a grade school principal. And he became one in 1960 and remained a grade school principal for 35 years until he retired. But the school system, Odessa school system, Hector County school system, they weren't done with him yet. He was elected to the school board for consecutive terms, And I like to believe he made a difference on that school board as he did being a principal in that town. Both he and my mother were school teachers and and both retired in that that system. In May of 1997, he uh, had spent the day in in a hot bathroom in a house of a church member who was less fortunate than himself, and he was remodeling that bathroom and putting a new sink in. He came home told my mother he's going to lay down for a nap, and then they'd have dinner. He never awoke from that nap. 
About a year later, this was part of a declaration, but my mother, my sister, and I went to Austin, Texas, to the House of Representatives, and it was declared Jim Spencer Day in the state of Texas, and we received this declaration that hangs on, on my wall, and also there's a, a plaque, a similar plaque to the one on the bottom there, on the uh, prayer wall out here. What's interesting, it was signed by the, uh, the, the House of uh, the Speaker of the Senate and by the governor of Texas down here, who was a fellow by the name of George W. Bush. All right, that's, that's the facts. Now for the story. That's the man that was my father. Kennedy, I told you you were going to see a picture of a good-looking uh, college hat there. If you look at that guy on the corner over there, he's got on a hat. That would be me, and that's my sister behind my dad. My earliest remembrance of growing up in Slodessa with my family was my dad being a school teacher, he always tried to bring in extra money. I know many of you here are probably school teachers, principals, were, will be, have been. Those of you that do that, you're doing it as a calling. The most important calling I think that there is in America today is, is education. But you certainly aren't doing it for the money. So my dad had a part-time job for the time I can remember. And when I got old enough, about 10, if I wasn't involved in high school sports or grade school sports or whatever, when I got home from school, we would load up in his pickup and we would go off to one of those jobs. Those jobs might be re-roofing a person's house. It might be remodeling a bathroom. It might be uh, uh, building, adding on to a house or building a new house. He always had a project. So I was fortunate enough that I not only had a father, uh, but kind of like in olden days, you know, when you're on a ranch or a farm, you, your son wasn't just your son. He was a hired hand that was pretty cheap. And that's who I was. But I feel so fortunate looking back because I got to know my father in a much fuller and a much more different way. We did those projects, and he even had, uh, he would go down to the junkyard, and when the insurance companies would release a bunch of totaled-out cars, he'd bid on them. And he won a lot of those bids. And so in our nice neighborhood, he'd drag those old cars up and put them in our garage and shut the door, and we had all the tools, and we'd rebuild those cars. Those, uh, those, those cars. In fact, all the cars my sister and I had growing up, that's how we got them, was rebuilding those cars in the garage. So he was very gifted with his hands. As I grew up working with him, when I got ready to get married, 23, I realized he wasn't just my father. He was my best friend. So I honored him by asking him to be the best man at my wedding, and he did so. Um, what did I learn from all of that? What did I get from him that we can celebrate today on Father's Day? Well, two things jump out at me. Two things is, one, he loved country, corny wisdom. And he had sayings. I'm seeing somebody look around like, yeah, you do it too, don't you? <laughs> and uh, they're a part of me. I got it all from him. I didn't, if you know me and you've heard me say them, I didn't make that stuff up. I got it from my dad. He would, you know, things like, um, I feel like a cat watching TV. I'm pretty sure something was going on, but I don't know what. 
Or he'd meet somebody that was a little different. He'd say, you know, that old boy's about like a horseradish sandwich, a little hard to swallow. <laughs> or one that I slipped in at the last minute that Laura didn't get to see is, and this one got me in trouble. This, I want to tell you, this didn't end well for me. But he, he said, you might whip my fanny. And he didn't use fanny. Might whip my fanny, but you better bring a sack lunch because it's going to take all day. <laughs> Well, that's fine. But more importantly, what I learned from my dad, that second thing, was acceptance. My dad accepted people where they were, as they were, without judging them. I want to tell you a few stories about that. First one that comes to mind is, is uh, I grew up in Odessa, Slodessa, excuse me, and uh, I didn't realize at the time it was a very bigoted city. Typical small town in Texas, back in the 60s. I didn't realize it. But I look back and I think about, uh, excuse me, I think about going to the theater downtown. Right there, main floor, the, the, uh, the restrooms on the main floor, big sign on the door above them and the water fountain for whites only. Our police force, it was all white. Our schools, separate but equal. Grew up in a segregated time. One of my dad's closest friends was Mr. Bledsoe. Mr. Bledsoe was an African-American principal on the other side of the tracks. They were good friends. Dad was at his house. They were at our house. Never anything said about him. Uh, I remember Mr. Bledsoe telling my dad, said, you know, vandals are breaking into my grade school. On Saturday nights, throwing rocks through the window, painting, says, police aren't catching them. They're not stopping it. Dad said, well, let's just fix that. They came up with an idea how we, that would include me, would stop this. And it was that we would go, we, Mr. Bledsoe, my dad, Mr. Bledsoe's son, Garland, my age, I went to the University of Texas with, uh, can do that hat, remember? <laughs> and went to the University of Texas with We played basketball, and then we later worked together at, at Gulf Oil Corporation. But anyway, we would spend the nights. On Saturday night, we'd get a cot and spend the nights in different rooms in that grade school. I was junior high, maybe, going over there. I can remember. Well, first, we took cots. If you slept on a cot, you know, that's a wrestling match at best. You know, I, that was hard. But then at that age, I was scared to death. I can remember sitting in that, that, that laying on that cot, just trying to go to sleep. I, I mean, I was squinting my eyes so hard, trying to go to sleep. You know, sleep might come, you know. I just didn't, could, could envision a rock flying through the window, and God only knows what aliens would be led into that church or into that school. But we did that for several weeks, and the vandalism stopped. We didn't catch anybody. There was no incidents, but it stopped. Maybe the word got out. I don't know. A second story I'd like to share about my dad is I look back. My mother and father had two couples that were in their circle of friends, their tight circle of friends. Both of these couples were uh, same-sex couples. We were at their house. They were at our house, and I remember my sister and I going to their houses, and uh, one of them had an old typewriter, and we'd play on it. As I look back, what's interesting about it, that was 1960 out in West Texas. 
My parents never said anything to me about that being a different relationship, something that was wrong. They accepted them where they were as they were. The last story I'll tell on that is as uh, I went off to college in 1968, and my hair was about this length when I left high school. Uh, I think it had some color in it. It doesn't have much now, <laughs> but it had some color, and uh, my draft deferment ran out, and I returned home to face the draft, and my father sat down with me. I had a lot more hair when I came back home, I want to tell you, a lot more hair all. And, and he sat down and said, what are you going to do, son, facing the draft? This is 1972. War was winding down. I said, Dad, I, my views on that war have changed. We're not going to win that war. We're going to leave it. And I have this premonition that downtown in Odessa, down by where they've got that 10-foot statue of a jackrabbit, that was the biggest statue we had in town, there'll be a second statue of the last man killed in Vietnam. And in my dreams, he had an amazing resemblance to me. My dad, a World War II veteran, he didn't argue. He just, what are you going to do, son? What are you going to do? I don't know, Dad. I don't know. He said, whatever you choose, I'll support you. I'll support you. I did go through the draft. The draft was canceled, and, and uh, so there's no statue of me by the jackrabbit in Odessa, Texas. My dad grew up in Canyon, Texas. He was an accepting man, but the society he grew up in, I remember it having billboards on the edge of town. If you're not white... Don't let the sun set on you in Canyon, Texas. That's where he grew up. But that's not who he chose to be. That's not who he chose to be. He chose to be a more accepting person that liked people for who they were, not the color they were, not their culture that they grew in, not what their preferences were. He learned to like them because, and accept them because they were good. If he could do that... In 1960, in Odessa, how hard is it for us to do it today in Austin, Texas? Really? Is it that hard? That's what I want to leave you with. But I would like to give you a little scripture here as I go. This comes from the uh, second chapter of James, the 13th verse. There will be no mercy for those that have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Thank you. Um, hi, I'm Laura Truitt. I go to the 11 o'clock service. And I am a dance teacher for Hudson Bend Middle School, and I'm also at Lake Travis High School in the mornings and assist with the Cavalettes there. And at Hudson Bend, I have the Palm Squad. So that's kind of who you're seeing in the video. Um, I, Laura asked me to speak about my dad for Father's Day. Um, my dad, 
is very special to me. <laughs> He passed away in January 2017, but he uh, gave me a lot of life lessons to remember him by and did a lot of things um, that showed me the way to how to be a Christian and to help others and put others before myself. Um, he was an Austin police officer for 25 years. The way that he gave his life or um, put his life in front of other people to protect them um, and keep them safe was the f like something that I saw on a daily basis. Um, we didn't really talk about that much, but I'm so glad that um, he made it through his years in the police department without something happening to him. Um, and then he retired and they rehired him back as a recruiter. Um, he also was wanted us to be very positive about everything. Um, if we didn't want to do something, his motto was get her done, do it. You know, if somebody asks you to do it, then take care of it and do it with a smile on your face. I hope that I am leaving or leading the girls the way that he led me and leaving a legacy through with him through me by teaching them how to stay positive. Um, we start off with an affirmation at the beginning of class every day. And so we like to start off by saying, and I'm excited about today at the beginning of class, just so if some of the girls had something happen first through sixth period, when we start Palm Squad at the end of the day, they can always start off with a positive attitude. And then, um, I hope that I am doing exactly what he did and not really preaching to me about how to be a Christian, but showing me how to be a Christian by, um, by his actions. And so I hope that I'm doing that for him. And this is his picture. This is in 1977, the year before I was born. <laughs> well, I hope in doing this video that I am sending him a happy Father's Day even though he's not here with us. I'm Bobby Epstein. Uh, happy Father's Day, y'all. Father's Day is for us to remember our fathers and to say thank you to our fathers for everything they've done. A lot of our fathers do is give us guidance sometimes, well, all the time actually. That is guidance we don't think we need when in fact we do need it. A father is someone who wants to catch you before you fall, but instead picks you up and brushes you off. A father is someone who has faith in you even when you fail. I'd like to tell you one of the stories about a father's guidance. And without his guidance, I wouldn't be standing before you today. In 2014, my father passed away of cancer. 
And that's when I started to hit my lowest point in my life. I was stressed, wondering why this could happen to such a great man. I was angry. Why did this happen to someone that I loved? I was depressed, wondering if he was, it was even worth being around. I was blaming God for his death. I was blaming God for everything that happened after that. I was mad at God for my financial issues. I was mad at God for my struggles with my marriage at the time. I was mad at God for everything. Then in January 2015, I did an install for Barb and Joe Williams, installing their window coverings. While I was there, that's when I recognized Minnesota Vikings magnet on their fridge. <laughs> so I got off my ladder, and I started walking around the house. Barb asked me, what are you doing? I said, well, who's the Vikings fan? She said, that'd be my husband, Joe. I said, I thought I was the only Vikings fan here in Spicewood. <laughs> so I gave her my number, told her to have her husband call me, because it would be nice to hang out with another Vikings fan. Well, a week later, they called and invited my wife and I over to their house for, for dinner. We spent that night talking, getting to know each other, and talking about the upcoming season. We continued our friendship with them through lunches and dinners throughout the year. Then the football season started, and we'd go to their houses and watch games. Uh, we'd always have to wait on them because they were coming back from church. Then that's when they asked us if we wanted to join them for church. You see, I never had a very good experience with church growing up. I moved in with my dad late in middle school, and he never attended a church. But growing up with my grandma in New Mexico, she did go to church, and those experiences were awful. So as Joe and B kept asking me if I'd go to church, I kept saying no and coming up with different excuses as why I shouldn't go. So one day they said, look, our church is holding a service called No Walls Worship, and it's outside of a church. You hold service outside. I said, that's impossible. You can't hold a service outside a church. Joe said, for real, the first one's going to be at Angels. Angels, I said. He said, yeah, Angels. Y'all should come and join us, and we could talk about the service and have lunch. So I did. I attended No Walls. I was hooked. Then time went on, and Joe eventually went on his walk to Emmaus. When he came back, he was a totally different person. And me, I was still that broken person I was before he left. So we continued our friendship, hanging out, working out. One day, he had asked my wife and I if we wanted to attend Bible study with him. I told him, no thanks. Well, my wife ended up going with him, though. I just didn't want to go. I was still mad at God for everything that happened. Finally, one Sunday, I decided to go to Bible study. Then I was stuck because that Sunday there was no walls. So Joe said, let's go to church service. I want you to give Pastor Laura a chance. I thought really hard, took a deep breath, said, why not? And again, I came to church service. And I was hooked. A couple months later, Joe asked me if I wanted to go on the walk to Emmaus. It took me a while to think about, but after seeing the change in him and attending both no walls, 
listening to Pastor Laura all these times. I decided it was time for me to go. I needed the Lord. I needed to change. I needed to get better. I needed to get myself right. And most of all, I needed to ask God for forgiveness. So I went on the walk. And since then, my life has changed. It has brought me closer to the Lord. It has made me a better person. And you see, the one person that saw I was broken and needed that guidance was Joe Williams. And now, because of Joe and God, I'm now a better person. I've accepted Jesus Christ, our Savior, as my Heavenly Father. Joe and B have become my spiritual parents, and they have helped me like no other. And they have been there for me. And for that, I thank them. And that, to me, is what a father truly is. Thank you. Decolores. Amen. Let's pray together, church. God, on this beautiful day, I thank you for our earthly fathers, for the way they patiently modeled acceptance and bravery and courage. We know that no earthly father is perfect, Lord, um, but you use them to speak through us, to us. And Lord, I thank you that we are not, it's not just our earthly fathers, but you give us spiritual fathers spiritual mothers even, people who see how we're hurting and to care. And I pray, Lord, that a prayer of thanks for all of those people who have had such a deep influence in our life and a, a pleading prayer, Lord. Help us to have our eyes open for those who are hurting that we might connect with in some small way, a football team or a soccer team or just a shared hobby. And through time it might become more so that we too could help someone, a child or a teen or an adult, to know you better, to know your love, your forgiveness, and the new life that can be found as part of your family. We ask this. In your mighty and loving name, amen.